Washington University's Olin School of Business is predicting that 40% of Fortune 500 companies will be bankrupt in the next 10 to 15 years. What can you do to prevent your organization from becoming extinct? That's what we're talking about in today's podcast. Today, our esteemed guest is Patrick Schwartfager, an in-demand business futurist and keynote speaker specializing in technology trends, including big data, artificial intelligence, fintech, and blockchain. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about successfully leading innovation. Yeah, thanks very much, Kelly. I'm looking forward to the discussion today. Welcome to all. I'm Kelly McCauley, producer of the Director's Cut podcast for Corporate Directors Forum and president of Macaulay and Company, where we help good leaders become great through high-impact executive coaching and results-driven leadership programs. Before we dive in, I want to give you some more important details about Patrick Schwartfager. He was recently a guest on our panel, What Directors Need to Know About Blockchain, at our Directors Forum. Directors Forum is a unique conference that really it brings together portfolio managers like BlackRock, shareholders like CalSTRS, directors and companies like Jack in the Box, etc. So Patrick is the author of Anarchy Inc., Profiting in a Decentralized World Within Artificial Intelligence and Blockchain, as well as four other books, and he's lectured at numerous academic institutions, including Purdue and Stanford Universities. A regular speaker for Bloomberg TV, founder of Trend Mastery Inc., and host of the Strategic Business Insights video blog, with over 25,000 subscribers, you probably have more by now, Patrick, and 5 million views on YouTube. Patrick has spoken about business trends, technology, and digital marketing at hundreds of conferences all around the world. So Patrick, as a business futurist, you emphasize innovation is a function of capability. Innovations come when the capabilities of an organization can support the innovations. How can a board member or leader test for the technological capabilities as well as the capabilities of the leadership team and be confident that innovation will happen? Well, you actually just made a great distinction, Kelly. This is a perfect question. So there's, there's the capabilities of the technology and there's the capabilities of the leadership. And those are two quite different things. So and it's very true that, that innovation is a function of technological capabilities. So as soon as the technology advances and, and has higher levels of capabilities, well, that's when entrepreneurs step in and say, hey, we can, we can build a business model around that. And, and it, that, that's, the, that's the genius of human creativity. That's, that's what capitalism does is these entrepreneurs come along and they, they find new capabilities and new slack in the line where they can come in and, and build a whole new business model that we never would have imagined before. So, so knowing that, knowing that innovation follows technological capabilities, what do we need to find in our leaders to guarantee or at least increase the odds of successful innovation? Well, you look at, you know, inevitably you can break down people in a million different ways, but one way is that some people tend to be more inside focused, more process oriented, and some people tend to be more creative and more outside focused. And those are two distinctly different types of people. And, and within an organization, these are generalities, of course, but it's usually the operations people, the finance people who are more focused on today's business reality, today's opera- operations. How do, we, how do we optimize those operations? How do we make things work smoothly? 
And then there's other parts of the business, like perhaps marketing or sales. And certainly the CEO needs to be outside focused. They need to look out for opportunities. They need to look for new things that they can exploit and new capabilities. So the board, when, when looking for leaders or even evaluating the leaders they already have, this should be really a, almost a litmus, litmus test is, to, is to, to find out and have that question in their mind of what sort of person am I dealing with here? Am I dealing with someone who's going to look out to the horizon of ways to grow the business and change the business, knowing that change is happening faster and faster? Or am I talking to someone who's more inside focused, in which case they might be an incredible person, very well qualified and very, very smart, but they might not be the best person for the CEO position. Yeah, that's a great insights. Now you've identified institutional blindness as an innovation stopper, and you point out that new hires can succumb to this disease in as early as three weeks after joining an organization. What are the consequences and what practices can leaders put into place so people in the organization act with wide eyes wide open? Yeah, so this, this, is a, this is another great question, Kelly. So we should start with, with kind of defining institutional blindness, and I'm sure many of your listeners are, are familiar with the term, but basically we're talking about people that, or, or rather an instinct where you're working within a, a certain ecosystem, a certain industry, a certain business, a certain office, a certain group of people, and, and you start to, your whole world just functions in that one space, and so you become detached from what's happening outside of your business or outside of your build, building or outside of your team or outside of your industry. So again, where we're talking about the difference between looking out versus looking in. And we always have to encourage people to, to look out and to uh, introduce what I call pattern interrupts. That's another common phrase. How do we interrupt people's patterns? And in fact, having a speaker, that's how I earn my living. That's one way is to bring someone in to have a different perspective. And it gets people in the audience maybe thinking differently than they had before. But you can also encourage experimentation in a million other ways. Google is, is famous for encouraging their, their engineers to spend 20% of their time on side projects. That's a great way to do it. Uh, but you can also have structured brainstorming on a regular basis, maybe even just once a month, maybe on a Friday afternoon. Uh, and you can look for things like what are the adjacent markets? That, that's quite often where the new revenue opportunities are is in adjacent markets. You can also ask what's our least profitable market segment? You know, effectively the customers we, we like the least, right? They have <laughs> no money, they're a pain in the neck. Right? Those, those customers, sometimes we're happy to get rid of them. But the, the fact is that disruptive innovation comes from there. It's those customers that, that quite often they want a simpler, less expensive solution. And that's, that's how business evolves. And, and, and the third thing I'll volunteer here for the, for the structured brainstorming, again, the first one is adjacent markets. The second is the least profitable market segment. And the third is converging trends. You know, there's large trends, huge trends that are unfolding. I would say there's really eight of them. If you want, we can go through those quickly. But when, when, when trends converge, that's where new opportunities come out. That's where disruptive innovation comes from. So to get people out of that inside focus and get, get them thinking more outside, you can do very specific things on a regular basis. And it doesn't have to take a lot of time to, to get that creativity flowing and get people thinking in a broader sense. 
I, I love how you bring into this conversation pattern interrupts and especially in light of institutional blindness, one of my mentors who recently passed, Will Murray, would talk about if over-investing in your future self. So if there's a place you want oh, to go, wow. you actually have to spend more time getting prepared and, and researching and learning about that space versus the space you're currently in. And these are excellent ways to do that through pattern interrupts. And I, I appreciate those examples. And um, you know, it's, it's a lot of these people, you, know, you can talk about the same thing in 20 different ways. Like I, I use some phrases, maybe your mentor uses different phrases, but it's always the same thing. And it's always a, a question of cultivating awareness and where you want to go. There's a, there's a, a common saying in, in, in racing when you're uh, racing cars that you want to, you don't want to look for what you're trying to avoid, like the, another car or the, 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 you know the wall on the outside of the of the track you want to look for where you're going because inevitably if you look for what you're trying to avoid that's when you hit it and it's the same thing that what you just said like you have to learn about where you want to go rather than where you are currently and that just that alone cultivating that awareness in the right direction ends up bringing you closer to that destination a very very smart distinction and Yes, we want to hear about the eight trends that you've been uh, researching or have been presenting themselves. Well, you know, let's just, I mean, I can just run, run down them. I have a list that's right here on my desk. I always have it here. Um, the, the, and these are all, they overlap and converge already. So they're not distinct, but there's, there's you know, different focus for each one. But of course, the big data, the use of data analytics, um, IoT, the Internet of Things, and the Industrial Internet of Things, the use of sensors, that's huge. And those two converge on cloud, bringing all that data into the cloud and cloud computing. And now we have all sorts of hybrid clouds emerging on the edge, edge computing, uh, bringing cloud capabilities closer to the end user. That's a fascinating trend. And then, of course, artificial intelligence and machine learning, which is built on top of all of this data. Uh, and then quantum computing is still a little bit on the fringe, but it's making progress. Uh, blockchain is also, I wouldn't say it's on the fringe, but it's, it, it hasn't really deployed yet. That's the sixth one, but it's sure. coming quickly, particularly in supply chain. Uh, the seventh is 3D printing and additive manufacturing. And the eighth is virtual reality, augmented reality, and mixed reality. So those are, those are the, the kind of the eight big ones in the technology space. And that, that's another, you know, it's a thought experiment. These are things you can do on a Friday afternoon where you can pair them up and say, okay, what happens if quantum computing comes and virtual reality? What happens when we put those two on top of each other? And all of a sudden you have all these ideas and you have smart people on your team who come up with things that you never would have come up with yourself. And in, in two or three hours going through these different couplings, in context of your own business and your own strengths as a company, you can come up with a whole ton of opportunities, just literally in, on a Friday afternoon. You do that once a month and you, you've got a steady stream of new things that you can test and potentially expand into. It really is so exciting when you're actually in a conversation like this versus feeling as if the world is racing out ahead of you and how are we going to catch up? 
Well, that's, yeah, you're doing, yeah, these are the perfect questions. So do we stay on defense? Do we stay on offense, right? That's the, all these executives, and I, I, I travel a lot. I'm always interacting with different executives in different industries, different parts of the world. And most of them are terrified, you know, really. I mean, they're scared. The, the change is coming so quick. It's, it's very, very scary as an executive. And so they, they instinctively take a defensive posture. Right? They're always thinking, who's going to come eat my lunch? But that's the wrong approach. We, we should be thinking, who else's lunch can we eat? Right? <laughs> if, if all this change is happening and other companies are destined to fall, or they're falling with increasing speed, that means there's new opportunities for all the companies who are going to take their place. So we have to stay on offense and always look to what else can we do rather than who's going to come and steal a little piece of our revenue. But let's think about who else's revenue we can steal for ourselves. Well, speaking of stealing, you're my source for the sobering study from Washington University Olin School of Business. that's <laughs> predicting 40% of Fortune 500 companies will be bankrupt in the next 10 to 15 years. Your advice is to avoid becoming extinct includes challenging leaders to think bigger, explore what's possible, and budget for, as well as encourage failure. What are specific ways you've seen boards successfully approach their CEOs on these fronts? And then I'll have a follow-up question. Yeah, okay, so, you know, the board, the way I look at at, uh, at the board of directors is that those are really the people who have the best opportunity to think strategically about the business, the future of the business, the future of the industry, and how do you reframe your business within that industry? In other words, how do you have a larger footprint in the industry? How do you play a larger role in the lives of your customers? Uh, there's all sorts of things that the board can do to to think in that strategic way. So the, so the responsibility. Again, let's assume that you have a CEO that is outward focused and, and he's an, he or she is an explorer and always looking for new opportunities and things to exploit. Well, it's, it, there's an onus of responsibility on the board to hold that CEO to account. Uh, you know, again, wh whatever that time frame is, maybe it's once a week, maybe it's once a month, uh, maybe even once a quarter, although I think that's not enough. But, but the, the board has to say, look, we've got these experiments. We have these opportunities. Let's budget, you know, set aside a budget. Innovation is all a function of budgeting for failure. You have to set aside a budget uh, because if you don't have a budget for failure, you're never going, no one's ever going to take the risk because there's, you know, there's too much at stake. But if there's a budget there, then all of a sudden you can start you know, running these experiments, running these tests. And, and what's the easiest and simplest way to test this idea? You, know, you can even get into a discussion of the minimum viable product, you know, or even a product at all. If you have a new product idea, do you have to develop the product in order to test it? No, you don't. You can test the marketing of a product before it even exists. And in that way, you can compress a test from a three-month period to a three-week period, or maybe even a three-week period to a three-day period, just to get an idea. Is it viable? Could this work? Is this possible? So the board has to stay on top of the CEO to say, look, we need to test these things and move forward on the ones that work and discard the ones that don't. You know, in a, that, talking about the budget, that makes it real versus just talking about it. If there's money in it, people believe that it's valued and we have permission really truly to do this. 
Yeah, it's true. But it's also, you know, again, so whatever that budget is, it doesn't matter what number we're talking about. Let's say it's a million dollars. It really doesn't matter. But you can blow that entire budget on two experiments if you do it in what I would say is an inefficient way. Or you can take that budget and run 20 experiments if you do them in a much smaller, more efficient way. So, you know, there's this saying in Silicon Valley. I, I lived there for 18 years before I moved down here just last year. And they always talk about fail fast, fail forward. And it's become almost cliche, but it's really true. It's not that you should look for failure, but if something's not going to work, let's figure that out as fast as possible. Learn something from it, pivot, and then try something else. Because nine times out of 10, the first idea you have isn't the winner, but the first idea brings you to the second idea, which you never would have thought of initially. And maybe that leads you to the third and then the fourth. And eventually it's the sixth or seventh or eighth where you, you really land on a gold mine. You never would have gotten to that point if you didn't go through those tests. I, I always say the road to being is through doing. We have to take the steps. We have to do things and take a small step and do a small experiment that learn something from it, pivot, and then go to the next one and the next one and the next one. And eventually you find an idea or a combination of ideas that results in a market opportunity that you never would have found if you didn't take those initial those initial steps. So this question might be redundant, but I'm going to ask it anyways. When you think about leaders below the CEO, how have they? How have you worked with them to help their team be more courageous and learn how to think better and bigger? Well, this is another, yeah, this is perfect. So there's a number of models, you know, we've all heard of things like Myers-Briggs and the DISC model and so on. And there's a model that I've used for years called the CARE model, which is built on the law of diffusion of innovation. So you have early adopters, early majority, late majority, and laggards. And if you superimpose that on top of the population, you know, like employee, your employee population, you have the early adopters, those are creatives, those are, that's C for creative. Then you've got early majority. Those are the advancers. Those are your salespeople. Uh, that's the A. Uh, and then you've got refiners. Those are people who kind of make the rules and make structure and, and, and create systems around new things. Uh, that's the late majority. The R is for refiners. And finally, you have executors, which are people who just like following the rules, like doing what they're told. They want that structure. And, and the, what we've done a lot in the past is we create teams of only advancers or only refiners or only creatives. And the, 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 the evidence shows, the research shows that you're, you're much better off having a combination of all four because, you know, creatives have lots of great ideas and refiners instinctively step on ideas. Like they squash ideas. They hate ideas. And yeah. they always talk about what's wrong with the idea. So if you have them, you have to do it in a structured way. Let the creatives bring out the ideas and have a whole, you know, whatever, flip chart, a whole wall full of ideas, and then bring the refiners in and say, okay, what's wrong with these ideas? And don't let the creatives say a word during that process and then bring them back in and you do this back and forth. Anyway, this is one of, of many different modalities and ways to encourage people to work together and get the good ideas and figure out which ones will work and which ones don't. But these are all the sorts of things that, uh, that people within the organization can do. And some people are going to be better at facilitating that than others. I would argue that a CEO's biggest job is to identify the people who can facilitate these processes. 
right? And those, those can be their team leads and from an innovation perspective to get some of those, some of those new ideas flowing. Well, Patrick, it's easy to hear why you're such an in-demand keynote across basically the globe. I want to thank you so much for your insights as a business futurist and sharing what you've learned about how leaders can set up their team and organization to win in this wildly and rapidly changing world. Yeah, it's, this is a crazy time. I mean, it's, things are going to happen faster. Put it this way, the next 10 years are going to be nothing like the last 10. Things Gosh, are going to happen think, a lot quicker with a lot of neat things coming. I think the next five years are going to blow our minds. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things. Autonomous driving is the big one. People have no idea how fast that's coming. I think autonomous long-haul trucking, some state in this country, I have no idea which one, but some state is going to legalize uh, long-haul autonomous trucking, I think by the end of this year, maybe next year at the latest, I think this stuff is coming very, very, very quick. And that's going to be probably the biggest disruption across the entire economy. Uh, once autonomous driving hits our city streets, things are going to change very, very quickly uh, from that point on. Well, we'll be staying tuned. <laughs> so to find out how to book Patrick as a speaker, go to www.bookpatrick.com. You'll also find a great video lineup of some of his keynotes, his books, and other resources. Also, go to Amazon to buy his recently published book, Anarchy, Inc., Profiting in a Decentralized World with Artificial Intelligence and blockchain. To listen to more podcasts like this, please visit macaulayandco.com forward slash podcast and check out our online blueprint for high-performing leaders self-study program. To learn about critical board member issues, challenges, and solutions like those brought up in today's podcast or to attend our next meeting, go to www.directorsforum.com. Until next time, we wish you best on we wish you the best on positively impacting the organizations you lead. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you, Kelly. Bye-bye now.